it just amazes me the team that God has allowed us to assemble here in Eunice, Louisiana, and our team has been highly anticipating this series on this day. We, for the next six weeks, are going to be in a series called There Is More, and we actually belabored a little bit on the subtitle to this series, and we feel like that God led us to call this a spiritual journey to infinitely more. You will understand how important that phrase is a little bit and even more in just a second. Um, Today's message is actually going to be called infinitely more. In January, some of you may remember, we had a Uh, an evangelist. He travels all over the nation. We were actually really privileged to have him, Pastor Peter Reeves. He was on staff at a church for years and decided to take a step of faith and begin to travel and speak as an evangelist. He's now a staff evangelist at a church in Orlando and preached at a small church over the summer called Elevation Church in North Carolina. Um, He came here. We had him here. He preached three services on Sunday morning, another service Sunday night, and was set to preach again on Monday. And we were riding around Eunice after he just flew into Lafayette and drove in that morning and then came to the church. So the only thing he knew of our community was you showing up in droves for three services that morning and then packing the place out again Sunday night. So when he got in my truck on Monday and we began to ride through some of the streets, look, I mean this in no offense, okay? But he began to ride through Eunice and and he was kind of looking around and, you know, with that big smile and exuberant face that he has that captures anybody's attention in any room, he said, bro, how many people live here? And I was like, I don't know. You know, there's probably about 10,000 people in the greater Eunice area uh, that I said tongue in cheek. And he's like, but but like, what's the big city like close to here? I said, well, you flew into it, Lafayette. It's about 45, 50 minutes away. He's like, you're telling me that all of those people that came to service yesterday are from like this area right here? And I said, yeah, man, you know, because we, we've become so accustomed to it, it just kind of became commonplace to us. And he goes, and I quote, bro, like real loud, right there in the truck, bro, this isn't normal. And I was like, you're, you know, you're right. It's what God is doing in this body of believers. It's not normal. What God is doing in this area, in this community, in this church, in your lives. Like, people are praying all over this nation and around the world right now to see what we see on a daily basis and certainly on a weekly basis. It's not normal, and it never has been. But we also don't believe that God is done. We believe that there is infinitely more, not just a little bit more. We actually believe that we have just scratched the surface 
of what an all-powerful, ever-present, supernatural, all-sovereign God could actually accomplish when everybody comes together in one mind, one accord, behind one vision to meet people and grow closer to God together. See, I still got it. Come on, somebody. Put me in second base. I'll clean it up. We'll walk around with this for a minute so it don't go nowhere, because I promise you, unlike Pastor Peter, y'all do not want me to preach without notes, because <laughs> we'll just go into tonight's service if I don't have any notes. Look with me in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, and you guys are going to want to stay on those cameras today, because I'm a mover. I am a mover. Verse 19 Paul actually in verse 16 says, I pray. So I put I pray in parentheses because we are seeing the apostle Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus in the next three verses. So Paul says, I pray that you would know the love of Jesus. I pray that you would know the patience, the kindness, the commitment, the non-jealous, never giving up action of an all-powerful God. I pray that you would know the love of Messiah, which transcends knowledge. It changes the way that you think. You came in thinking one way, you get to know Jesus, and you begin to think in a whole new way. And I pray says the Apostle Paul, I pray that you would be filled not with just certain aspects or parts of God's presence, but the fullness of the individual and personal characteristics of God Almighty. Verse 20, now to the one, everybody say one, To the one, Jesus Christ, who can do infinitely more than we even know to ask or imagine according to what? According to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is working in, I don't think y'all caught that, the same power that confounded the Jews and transformed the Roman Empire when they couldn't produce a body that prophesied he'd get up and walk out. That same power, resurrection power, is still alive and well today, and it's not just here, he's actually at work. Where is he at work? In every single individual sitting in this room watching online that calls him Lord and will walk according to his will. That power, the infinitely more power of an almighty God is working among us. Verse 21, I love this. To him be glory, not just in the individual. I'm not here to be celebrated. I'm here to launch a movement. To him be glory in the body in the church because when the church comes together hell starts to tremble last week man that we referred to as our pastor in house that we let Clico pay Blaine Francois stood on this platform and and he gave probably one of the most profound intros to a time of prayer And yet, the simplest idea that I had never considered, 
that when you go to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you say the name of Jesus, there is nothing that you're going through. There's nothing that you can ask of him. There's not a challenge, a trial, or a temptation. There's not a request that you could consider that he has not already heard and answered. That's who you're praying to. You can't come up with something that God hasn't already done. And today is a six-week journey that I believe is going to stretch our faith as a church. It's not self-help. This is not personal promotion. We believe just as much in the fellowship of his sufferings as we do in the power of his resurrection. But we do not forsake one or the other just to believe in our incidental minds. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a challenge. This is a challenge to stop accepting the status quo and stop seeing God through your human perspective, but to begin to believe the God who is able to actually use us to accomplish infinitely more. Not just personally, but for your family, for your church family, and how God wants to use us this body of believers to establish his kingdom in this area in a way that he is yet to establish it. I would refer to this as a Kairos moment in time. I said last week that the resurrection was a Kairos moment that transformed the trajectory of humanity and history itself. And I asked Adeline on the way home last week, I didn't share this, in first service for the sake of time, but I asked Adeline on the way home after Saturday night because um, Adeline, like her father, will tell you the absolute truth. There's no gray area with this child. Um, and so I asked her, hey, what'd you think of tonight's service? And it was good. We had 300 people on Saturday night. Adeline, this ain't normal. Open up your Bible to a feet. No, it was good. It was good. I said, okay, is there anything from my message that really stood out to you? Huh? No, I mean, it's good. Praise God. I've been working on this for six weeks. Bless the Lord. Easter Sunday. It was good. It's good. Is there anything you would change? Huh? No? No? Okay. And then, as I continued to ask questions, notice you don't ask children yes or no questions. You're trying to ask them a question you get a response for. That's Parenting 101. You're welcome. She finally looks over and goes, you know, you used a lot of words I couldn't understand. It's kind of hard to pay attention. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> so I went in my notes and I changed some words. One of the words I did not change was kairos. Because the Greeks used two words to define time. Chronos and Kairos. Chronos is where we get the word chronology or a timeline of events. Kairos is the idea of something taking place in that timeline that changes it. Kairos is a moment in your life 
that reestablishes a new trajectory one way or another. Uh, a marriage is a Kairos moment, or it should have been. Uh, having a baby, by the way, to the best of your ability, in that order, is, is, a, Kairos, is a Kairos moment. Um, thinking you're having a boy and finding out you're having two girls, those are Kairos three girls. Those are Kairos. Those are Kairos moments. A memorial. Burying my father was a Kairos moment in my life. And for every Kairos moment, we have a decision to make. One Kairos moment or one defining moment of my life is when I stared into the eyes of my future bride at that time and I made a covenant. I said, and I quote, from this day forward, February 2006, I will follow Jesus with all of my heart. I've done it before, and for whatever reason, I stopped. And, and if you see me following Jesus with all of my heart, then you can trust God to trust me. But at any point, if I stop following Jesus then you need to get away from me because in him I can do all things, but apart from him, I am nothing. I will crush you. I will hurt, I will ruin your and my life apart from Jesus. But I am no longer satisfied pursuing my own desires and my own will and then sprinkling Jesus in as an additive or a season to an already prepared meal and calling that Christianity. I'm not willing to just simply ask God to save me any longer. I have come to a place where I'm going to confess him as Lord and the objective of the rest of my life is going to be to accomplish his will, not mine. That's Kairos. A defining moment. Marrying my bride was a Kairos moment. Selling our house to move into full-time ministry. Hanging up my cleats and no longer pursuing my dreams. Not going to law school. Liquidating our assets and giving everything that we had to Chandler First Assembly of God to believe God to pay off the note of the student center in which we ministered. Giving and devoting my life, not just, not just to Jesus, but to his bride, the church. Every one of these Kairos moments called for me to make a decision. And here was the question that I had to answer, and I think it's the question that you have to answer. Am I truly committed to God's will for my life? Or am I really just living my will for my life, adding Jesus and calling that Christianity? Am I truly committed to God's will for my life as a son, for many of you, as a daughter? Am I truly committed to God's will for my life as a husband? Or am I going to fail my bride like 60% of marriages? Am I truly committed to God's will for my life as a father of these children to which he has entrusted me to steward according to his will? Am I truly committed, fully committed to God's anointing upon my life with kingdom influence that he has given me? Here's what I was asking. Am I willing to surrender what I have to discover what God has? And until you make that decision, you will miss out on what God has. 
or you will only experience some of what God has. But the moment that you decide that everything you have and everything that you are is just to reflect the glory of the one who called you and has saved you and delivered you, that is the moment that you begin to experience infinitely more. And by willing to to let go of some really good things, and some of you would say, look, it hadn't really been that good. And for some of you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for you to accomplish God's will for your life because you have so much. Am I willing to lay down what I want, what I have and what I desire for what God wants, what God has and what God desires? Listen, moving to Eunice, Louisiana, taking a church of 100 people at 32 years old. That was a Kairos moment. Six of the 100 voted against you to move here to this church on two and a half acres that you drove right past before you even saw it. It was a Kairos moment in my life. Who knew what God would do if we would just say yes? I've had defining moments in my life and here's what I've discovered. Every defining moment requires a divine decision. Nobody wrote that down. I'm so glad that that was so impactful that you're gonna forget it by this afternoon. Let me say it this way. Kairos moments call for commitment. If you're going to have a Kairos moment that changes the trajectory of your life, then the Kairos moment that you have will require a commitment. God will call you to commit further than you have previously committed. Defining moments in our lives will cause us to take divine steps of faith and we will be stretched. What is the culmination of a divine decision? What does it mean to be called to fully commit? Jesus in Matthew chapter six, he gives us the nucleus of the mount or the sermon of, on the mount. And last year we went through the Beatitudes and I don't really know what we're gonna do for this summer quite yet, but we're gonna go back to that one of these days. It's three chapters of one sermon on a mount and it took several hours. So if you think you don't like my 40 minute presentations, Jesus is here and he says all of these things and he gives us all of these lists of things that we'll never live up to. And then he says this in verse 33. Of all of that that I just said, here's what you need to hear. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Not as an additive to everything else. Come on, are you with me? But you seek the kingdom of God above all else and you live righteously. And when you seek the kingdom of God above all else, then living righteously is a byproduct of what God is building inside of you. And when you do that, then he will give you everything that you need. Everything that you need to what? To sit back and relax until, we're all, until we all get to heaven? No, he'll give you everything that you need to accomplish infinitely more than you even knew to ask or imagine. That's what it means 
to live in the infinitely more. This is the journey that we are embarking on as a church family. And here is our guide, a biblically-based curriculum that we are going to dig into as a body. I don't know if you've noticed, and it's getting louder and louder, and I will preach more on it come January 2024, because I promise you, you hear the heart of this shepherd. I will use the rod and the staff to fight off demons of division in 2024, because the radical left and the radical right can be as divided as it wants to be, but as for this house, we will fight for the unity of the Spirit. We will not be divided by things that can change every four years when we serve the one who has always been and will always be he is the lord our god and he changeth not our society is shouting for authenticity People are searching for answers unlike ever before. They are looking for meaning. And Paul wrote about it in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I have learned the secret to being content. We preached a message on it a few weeks ago. And by we, I mean me, my bride, and our creative team. We came up with an illustration and an ideology of what it means to be content without becoming comfortable. No matter your circumstances, no matter your scenario, because we, like the Apostle Paul, believe in a God who is able no matter what's going on around us. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm content no matter my circumstances. My weakness is perfected in his strength. So I'm content no matter my circumstances. His ways are higher than my ways, as high as the heavens are above the earth earth so are his ways and his thoughts above mine so I have learned the secret of being content his grace is sufficient for my every longing and every need so I've learned the secret to being content my God is able to supply according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus there is a power that is working in me so I have learned the secret to being Content. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Why? Because number one, Jesus is infinitely more. He is infinitely more. Now, I preached because now for a minute I need to teach. And teaching always turns into preaching. So if y'all don't do it with me, I won't take as long. Come on, somebody. Actually take that, flip it, and that's what I actually meant to say. Many of us... Many of us have an idea of Jesus, but our idea of Jesus, hang in here with me, our idea of Jesus is based on our perspective of ourselves. It's like in our freedom curriculum when we say, our view of God affects our approach to God. And many people perceive their heavenly father through the same lens of which they perceive their earthly father. In the same way, we limit Jesus because we don't believe in him from a biblical perspective. We believe in him from a personal perspective. When we look at Jesus and we consider his name, we look through the lens of our own understanding. 
And we define Jesus according to our experience, atmosphere, and upbringing when he wants us. Are y'all leaning in with me so I don't overpreach it? When he wants us to define his character and his ability according to his word, not our world. We place our mental and our physical limitations on Jesus. And we look at what we can do and we think that's all he can do. And the longer we do this, the more we limit him. And I believe that this is actually the one thing that holds back what God has for us as much as anything else in our lives. Because the longer that we are willing to say we're walking with Jesus, but we're not willing to walk somewhere we're not comfortable walking. The longer that we are willing to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I just don't follow him into anything that's unfamiliar. Yes, I love God, I'm just not willing to serve God. I believe in him, but I behave just like everybody that doesn't. Are y'all with me today? This is a limitation to what God, there is one limitation to what God is able to do in your life, you. There's one limitation to what God is able to do in my life, me. In his book, in Matthew's gospel, there was a group of people who did not experience what God wanted them to experience because of what they did not believe about Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. Jesus goes back to his hometown with a purpose. And the Bible says, according to the English Standard Version, he did not do many mighty works there. Because when they saw Jesus... They saw the son of a carpenter. Because when they saw Jesus, they saw the dysfunctional family. When they looked at Jesus, they remembered the God that they grew up with, not the God that he was about to reveal himself is. When they looked at Jesus, they saw the son of Joseph, despite the fact that he claimed to be the son of God. And the Bible says because of what they believed about what they thought about Jesus, he did not perform many mighty works that he wanted to perform. And his limitation was not based on his ability his limitation was based on their perception of his ability so God had to take his ability to the Samaritan people and centurion soldiers because there was not faith like this with the people that it was supposed to be in we settle for a little bit of Jesus at a time And what we settle for becomes a hindrance to what he has for us. It hinders our relationship with him. It it hinders how he's able to use us. It hinders the mighty works. Now hear me, hear me. With all that said, I refuse to be the person. God help me in the name of Jesus by the power of his spirit. I refuse to be the person and or the pastor where God wants to do things that he can't do because I'm not willing to step in to unfamiliar. 
because I'm not willing to step into uncomfortable or because I've become satisfied with what he's already done. I'm telling you, God is about to do things that he's not used to doing. I I think that God is about to do things in the last days that he has been waiting to do for all of his days. In fact, we can read about it in the book of Revelation. Jesus gave John a revelation of who we're supposed to believe that he is. It says this, according to the New Living Translation in verse six, he made us, everybody say us. He made us a kingdom of priests. Oh, I'm gonna hurt myself anyways. I didn't think I was gonna do it. He didn't make us to go to a priest. I can't get no help today. I done been here too long. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. He didn't make us to ask somebody to pray. He didn't make us to watch other people serve. He didn't make us to have to go to somebody in between him and the throne room. He made us to become a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood walking in the confidence of who God has called us to be because we're following the one who already was and shall forever be. I don't have to go to anybody. I am somebody. When God looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus grants me the access into the throne room that the infinitely more is being housed in. Come on. If you believe that, can you just give God about five seconds of authentic praise? Jesus is infinitely more, and he made us a kingdom of priests for God, all glory and power to him forever. Verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is still to come. You know what that means? I've seen God do, I'm seeing God do, and I'm about to see God do. I believe we are living in the still to come. And if there is something that is still to come, then I'm not going to stand in here over in just what's already been done. It means that I don't just have my faith in what he's already performed. I put my faith in what he's about to produce. Because I believe in a God who is all powerful. He's omnipotent. I believe in a God. He is the Lord our God and he knows all things. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. And he is an ever present help in our time of need. And if you don't know that you're in need for something, then you're not looking hard enough. He's omnipresent. Jesus is infinitely more. And because of him, number two, we are infinitely more. Now listen, I'm not going into some heretical teaching where people believe that we all become gods. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Adam and the woman in the garden, he said in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, let us, who is us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and two-thirds of heaven that decided to be obedient, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. You never lost the image of God. If you lose the image of God, you cease to exist but we gave away the likeness of God and then he said this and let them have dominion remember the enemy tempted 
the woman and the man in the garden, he said, God knows if you eat of this, then you will become like him. He tempted us with the thing that we already had. God said, I will create you in my image and in my likeness, and then I will give you dominion because the enemy knew that if we cease to be like God, then we'll cease to operate in the dominion that God had given us. So he tempted us with the one thing that he knew he could rob because that's what the enemy does. He has to come first to steal before he can ever kill and before he can ever destroy. So before God can do what he wants to do in the rest of us, he had to let us know the plan that he had for all of us. That's why Genesis 3.16 and John 3.16 go hand in hand. The Bible said that we were the image, the likeness, and the authority or the dominion of God. How do I know that? Because that's what God said. And I was created to reflect the image walk in the likeness, and operate in the dominion. Are you with me? But when Adam was disobedient to the one thing that God told him not to do, he handed that dominion over to that serpent on that day. So in Genesis chapter 3, God instituted a plan. Because of one man's disobedience, many were made evil. Enter Jesus. Because of one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We were the image of God, and we still have the potential to be the image of God. But in order to walk in the likeness, Jesus had to come back and earn the dominion through obedience. So when Jesus came in, you got to remember, Jesus was not created, he was given. Hang on, I'm teaching, I'm going somewhere. Jesus was born and he was given, he wasn't created. He was there in the beginning. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning. So Jesus is not a created being, he is a being that was positioned prophetically to fulfill what we gave up disobediently. He came and he earned back the dominion that we had given away. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he... So Jesus wasn't created, he was given. In fact, he wasn't even created in the womb. This is so good. He was placed in the womb. He was put in the womb. And that's why he says that you need to put on the full armor of God. Because I'm done with creating. I'm about to start building. I'm done with creating. I'm about to start doing. But I need people to understand who I am in order to be able to do what I want to do. John 1, 18, who is Jesus? Jesus said, according to the New International Version, no one has ever seen God except the one and only Son. Now, the Islamic faith teaches that Jesus never claimed to be God, but that's because they don't believe the whole book. See, something happens when you only believe portions of the book, because right here, Jesus Christ said, I am God. This is why he came to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was created. So when Nicodemus was created and he was birthed into a lack of dominion, 
and a lack of likeness, he needed Nicodemus to understand it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how many traditions you get right. It doesn't matter how many ideas that you have. It doesn't matter how many rituals you perform. Unless you be born again, as Jesus was, he wasn't born the first time, but he was reborn is an example for all of us the second time. So unless you are born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Because I need you to understand that I'm about to go through every things so you don't have to. I'm about to earn back the dominion and you are no longer just going to be the image of God. You're going to become a child of God. You're going to reflect the glory and walk in the dominion. Now, some of you are going to have to go back and listen to all of that this week because I ain't got time to go back through it. Paul wrapped it up when he said it this way, Galatians chapter three, verse 26, for you are all children of God through faith. By the way, I'm about to mess some of you up. Everybody is not a child of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, to those who believe, they have been given the right to be called children of God. Paul said, for you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ, then you're not a child. You still have the image. You still have a conscience. It's why we have an innate ability to understand the difference between right and wrong. But in our best conscience, we still don't understand the difference between righteous and evil. But in him, because he is infinitely more, we are infinitely more. But God doesn't stop there because I have three points. Here's number three. The church is infinitely more. Oh, that settled in on about four people. I'm gonna have to explain it to everybody else. See if everybody would've gone, ooh, we'd just get out right now. <laughs> y'all didn't do it, it's too late, you can't do it now. <laughs> Jesus stood with his disciples over one of the most demonic places on the face of the earth at that time. It was known as a hole that they would toss in babies to sacrifice to pagans God pagan gods. And Jesus looked at this hole where they would toss babies to sacrifice to pagan gods. And he said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is saying, as I am, so they shall be. And hell couldn't handle me and hell can't handle them. When they all come together and I begin to build what only I can build with a group of people in one mind, one one accord under one God and one Lord, then the possibilities are infinite. We're going to end the way that we started. Considering who God is. Who is he? Kairos moment right now. I love this song more than Abel. It says in the bridge, can you imagine with all of the faith in the room what the Lord can do? Could you imagine what God had in store for a hundred people on two and a half acres? 
If you think what he's done over the last seven years has been impressive, then you watch what happens when a hundred to five hundred more people decide the same way that those people decided. And watch what God does over the next 17 years. Because he is the Lord our God and he is able to do much more than this. Paul was praying for the church. He said to the one who can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine, according to what? According to his absolute omnipotent authority working in us. Here's how much God loves us, you ready? He has subjected his ability to your obedience. An all-powerful, all-sovereign God said, I love these people so much that I'm going to subject what I'm able to do to what they believe about me and how they obey it. I believe we are at another defining moment as a church family. We have seen season after season and story after story. I have watched with many of you, God take 93 people who voted on a 32-year-old and turn it into 1,400 people on 45 acres with a school. Don't tell me that he's done because there are still people sitting within 500 yards of this building who are alone in a room wondering if anyone in the universe cares. There are still children who will come back to school tomorrow hungry. I cannot be satisfied with what I have already seen when I believe that I serve a God of infinitely more. Every time we've made room, God has added souls. Every time God has expanded his church, he has revealed the infinitely more into the lives of his people. And I believe that today and over the next six weeks, we will make a divine decision that people will talk about for the next 50 years. In 2016, Megan and I became the lead pastors of New Hope Church in Eunice, a church rich in history, reignited by the 1995 merger of First Assembly of God and Eunice Fellowship. New Hope Fellowship, at the time of our arrival, was a paid-off facility on two and a half acres with a hundred people prayerfully committed to whatever God had in the next season. We all knew the local church was more than just a building or an event or service to attend. The local church is a spiritual family united behind a gospel-centered cause. Over the last seven years, we have faithfully pursued our God-given vision to meet people and grow closer to God together. And God has honored His vision and exceeded our expectations. 
In 2021, we launched Eunice Christian Academy with seven staff members and 53 students in the first semester. We cleared land, we built a playground, purchased classroom, furniture, supplies, equipment, and paid cash for an additional building of three large classrooms. In the fall of 2023, we are projected to have over 100 students being trained and educated every day in a God-centered, Bible-based curriculum. Our church has seen exponential growth since January of 2017. Over the last seven years, we have had the opportunity to minister to thousands of people. We've moved from one service to four services, online and in person. We've purchased 45 acres of property for future expansion. We've moved our students into our main worship center. We've launched groups. And last year alone, we had 425 people meeting outside of services for discipleship on a weekly basis. In the last three years, we've had hundreds of people make decisions for Jesus. Over 150 people followed Jesus' example in water baptism. Around 200 people have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit through our freedom conferences, camps, or other special services. We had 200 children attend our vacation Bible school summer program. Babies have been dedicated. Marriages have been restored. Bible college students have been trained on campus. Missionaries have been sent out. We've given nearly $400,000 to missions from Kenya back to Louisiana, and the entire community is talking about what God is doing through New Hope Church. We believe despite all that we have seen him do, God is not done. There is more. We believe it is imperative that we make room for more people, more ministry, more students and children, more cars to park, more families, more marriages to be healed, more deliverance, more restoration, and more people forming an authentic relationship with Jesus through the life-giving message of the gospel. With unprecedented growth comes unexpected challenges that can impact our guests and limit our ability to care for every person that comes onto our campus. In order to facilitate the continued growth of New Hope Church, we must build. There is More is an all-church initiative designed to communicate the vision and inspire everyone willing to invest in this expansion. Our new facility will include a potential 100 additional parking spaces with extra parking to go along and an actual foyer where people can gather before and after services, which would also serve as an atrium for events and other connection opportunities. We'll have an industrial kitchen, which will allow us to supply food and hospitality for ministry in the community, events throughout the year, and will serve as a cafe on a weekly basis. Our worship center space will seat 600 people per service, also making room for us to host events with state-of-the-art presentation and production capacity. Directly outside of the worship center will be an infant room and a mother's nursing room. 
where new parents will feel more comfortable with their baby close while they are able to worship God. Restrooms directly across from the worship center for men and women will make it much more convenient for everyone in attendance. And it will also make it safer for our children to have their own restrooms in our current facility. Finally, we will add three more classrooms to the end of the hallway to be used as needed on Sundays and other groups throughout the week, but mainly to make more room for more students attending Eunice Christian Academy to train and equip to achieve God's calling for their lives. Bottom line, the need is great, but the possibilities are limitless. Together with everyone hearing from God and joining us on this faith journey, we believe God will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, because he is the God of infinitely more. Come on, if you believe that with us, could you praise God? Hey, our, our team is coming forward. Our team is coming forward right now, and they're going to hand out our guides for this series. And, and we want everybody over the age of 18 that will take care of this book to please receive one. Um, there is more is kind of like that triple braided cord, if you will. One may be overcome, two may withstand, but a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And as soon as you get this book, I want you to turn to page 20 so that you won't flip through this thing and not pay attention to another word that I say. Some of you may be wondering why we didn't give this out at the beginning of service. It's because we were afraid that we had too many children in adult bodies that would simply flip through this book and not listen to another word. We want you to keep up with this. We want you to bring this with you. Um, as you'll see on page 21 right there next to key dates and events that we're going to walk through as a church, one of the essential aspects of this series is that you would get in a group. Now look, I get that we are fighting baseball and softball and seasons, and as I told you, if you look at the annual calendar, there's really just no good time to not fight some season. It seems like in our culture, there's a season for everything except being fully committed to Jesus. And so we're asking you to fit this in your schedule, to sign up for a group. This initiative, if you will, is it's a series. It's discipleship groups. It's a stretching of our faith. As I told you, I've never had a divine moment that did not require divine decisions. If you'll notice on page 23, there's week one and there's the notes for this morning and every message for this series is gonna be outlined in this book. Our team has worked tirelessly and I can't begin to give everybody credit because I'll leave somebody out and they'll be mad at me tomorrow or tell me to mention them between services. So everybody has worked really hard to get this done the week after Easter. If you turn the page again, you'll see small group discussions. Well, I'm not in a group. We'll sign up for one. Well, we won't have time to be in a group. We'll form one, come together, ask questions, discuss God's word, discuss the message. It's all laid out for you. And then if you turn the page again, you'll see a daily devotional. 
Because living for Jesus is more than a sermon on Sunday for everybody. And then finally, yeah, there's a building initiative. As I said, there's always been an initiative. This is just the next initiative. And every time that God has done something supernatural, he's asked me to make a natural decision. Look at this scripture with me on the screen before we go today. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. According to the New King James Version, the Bible says, without faith, and by the way, faith in this passage is more than an idea. Faith in this passage, it's like believing that the boat will go across the water so much that you get in it. It's not that you look at it and go, you know, that thing looks like it would, I believe it would float, I believe it would carry me. Faith in this passage, pistuo, is an action. It's to get in the boat. So without taking a step of faith, without being obedient to the voice of God, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must not be like the people of Nazareth. We have to believe him for who he is, according to his word, not just our idea of who he is. And then, this is how good he is, when we do that, he is a rewarder of those who seek his kingdom above all else. That's how this thing goes together. So I have three questions as we close today. Number one, what will God do if I do nothing? What will God do if I do nothing? See, the first step that we take in this journey is just to say yes. To say yes to Jesus if you've never taken the first step and say yes to whatever he has next for us. You know what God will do if we do nothing? He'll use somebody else. What will God do if we do nothing? He'll build something else, somewhere else. I tell our staff all the time, people are not a means to an end. People are the purpose behind everything that we do. And if I take the time to make eye contact with some of the people in this room that I know the story of, then I will see that people are heaven's treasure. People don't just matter. They're the only reason that the church exists. They're the only reason that God hasn't already come back. The reason that we have seen so many people come to this body is because God trusts us with his greatest treasure, people. And if we do nothing, then he will send people somewhere else. What would God do, number two, what would God do if I sacrificed something? Well, ask Abraham. Ask Abraham. If I learn to say yes to God's plan, if I learn to hear his voice and, and be obedient to it, outside of the worship center, this is just one of the places where we learn. If I learn how to let go of what I have to trust God for what he has and answer that question, am I really fully surrendered to God's will for my life? And then finally, number three, what could God do through me? Not just my pastor or my pastoral staff or my church, but, but what could God do through me if I just obey? By the way, obedience is the difference between the person that built their house on sand and were swept away by the storm 
and the person who built their house on stone and withstood the storm. They both heard, but one of them obeyed. Look, God is incessantly stretching our faith as a staff, as a church family. He's incessantly stretching mine and Megan's faith. And all we're doing in this journey is asking you to let him stretch your faith. In fact, that's what we're believing. We are believing for God to stretch the faith of every person in this room. I, I want you to take this card that's in this book, and I don't want you to do anything with it, but put it in the book and close it. Now, in first service, I said that, and we just have some disobedient people who immediately took this card and started doing this. Put it in the book and close it. We want you to use that as a bookmark for your daily devotional. The only thing that we are asking of you today is that you would commit to making a commitment. We're asking that you would make a mental decision, possibly even a verbal confession, that you would commit to making a commitment. What does that look like? I'm gonna tell you what it looks like. As the church and every confident follower of Jesus starts to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in this room right now, for some of you, the only thing that that means is that you would truly surrender your life to Jesus because nothing else matters. Nicodemus, the most perfectly religious person on the face of the earth, needed to be born again. The Philippian jailer, a pagan murderer, could still be saved. I don't know where you are, I just know that before God wants to do anything through you, he just wants you.